I think the most interesting or like non conventional thing I learned about was Imperial China. That was mm. like the most exotic thing we learned about in school. That was kind of so exciting. <laughs> like, whoa, what is this yeah. about the, the terracotta warriors? Hey guys, welcome to season two of Wing It. You're going to be joining myself, Yvonne, and my best mate, Aisha, on for another journey of highs and lows of our 20s. Now we are definitely midway through. We're on the road to 30 now. So be ready for some different topics, different guests, and yeah, taking you into 2021 with some new fresh content. And can't wait for you to join us along for the ride. Keep winging it. Whoop. Hey guys, welcome back to your favourite podcast, Wing It with Aisha and Yvonne. So this week, it's just been Aisha for the first time in a really long time, actually. So we've been so lucky to have two guests join us the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Tarek on the identity episodes, that was a, a double parter. So that was really exciting to hear what he had to say about his background, his education, and how he's navigated to finding out and probably still trying to find out where he kind of fits in the world and his identity. And then we had Ellis on that was very well timed by us, I must say, in line with the Friends reunion. So we were obviously navigating the highs and lows of the pandemic, how we adapted our friendships to obviously not seeing each other face to face, what we did, and also how we feel about our friendships as we head into our 30s as well. And usually me and I should try to do a little bit of a mental health check-in, but obviously we wouldn't have been able to do that with the guests the last couple of weeks. So we thought we'd take this opportunity. I mean, it's been a while. Has It's been like a month or so since we've done an episode together. Yeah, it has been a while. Like even I was thinking today before we were going to be recording this episode, like I think I've for- like literally forgotten the last time we have sat and actually just had because I mean I, I I have mentioned this before guys but literally this this whole podcast idea like of wing it literally came about because me and Yvonne just used to spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours just talking about our lives and how you know they were taking a good turn and then a bad turn and then we didn't know what was going on and we were like you know what maybe we should record it so yeah I can't even remember the last time that it's just been me and you having a good old good old chat but I'm very ex- excited for for this episode but yeah like Yvonne said we will be doing a mental health check-in before starting on the app uh, we haven't done one in quite a while so yeah Yvonne's gonna hit it off how are you uh how are you feeling about everything I mean we're still in a very confusing time in the world I think there's a lot of things going on so yeah how 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 are how are you how are you <laughs> You know that's my least favourite question in the world, Aisha. I asked it twice. <laughs> Clearly didn't uh, listen to the last episode. Um, honestly, I think you you said the right word. I'm just a little bit confused emotionally and mentally. Like we said last week, we are excited about going into a slight sense of normality, going to seeing friends, meeting up with people. I literally crave on social situations. But also, I'm a little bit apprehensive, obviously, not Mm -hmm. just about seeing people, but also I'm still a bit worried about seeing uh, my parents, my partner's parents. Obviously, they are in the like the older category. They are slightly vulnerable. Mm. 
I'm a little bit apprehensive about going into the office. So I'm due in the office in a couple of weeks time because I've had now both vaccinations. So I feel I am in a position to be a little bit more relaxed. But until I've taken that leap and I've started to go back on the commute, started to go back to normality, I will be taking the train to work. I'll be sharing an office with people. I am going to feel a little bit apprehensive until I get into the swing of things. Mm. And that's kind of where I'm at at the minute. I don't know about you. I don't know if you feel similarly or whether you're complete opposite, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it is just confusion at the minute. I mean, the last few the last few days has been really, really beautiful weather. Really, really hot. Really, really nice. That has helped which has helped hugely. I mean, it just makes such a difference. Like, so we, we are on um, the top flat here. So we get a lot of sunlight. We get a lot of light coming into the flat. So first thing in the morning, when I come out of our bedroom and you just see the flat flooded with sunlight, it makes such a difference to how you approach your day. Like it really, really does. But obviously it's the first time because, you know, we're in that stage now where all of these restrictions are easing and people are kind of being a little bit more, not lax, but they're being, you know, a little bit freer, which which is fine. You know, people are excited to go out and about again. But because of the area where we are in Portsmouth, it's probably one of the busiest like times that I've ever seen South Sea. Like it was. I know what you're going to say because as soon as the sun's out, there's two things that the Brits do: they either go to the beach or they have a barbecue. There's no other option. Both are being done here because we've got a park next to the beach. So there you go. <laughs> and yeah, you're you're completely right. So it was, I mean, it was lovely seeing everyone out. And because the weather was so nice, we did get a, like a few family members coming to see us, which was really, really lovely. I mean, we are in like, our bubble, so it was fine. My nan didn't come up, but they came and they loved the day. Um, but it was just so busy and it was so weird seeing it that busy. I mean, last year, yeah, it was busy as well, but everything's open now all of the shops are open the streets and the roads are flooded with cars again transport is busy again so yeah I know what you mean and I think leading up to the 21st of June I mean it's the beginning of June now as we are recording I know there are still I think we're still on the path of 21st of June being like the last date before everything goes back to normal but I think there was still a little bit of um of apprehension from like experts saying that like oh if this happens then maybe we can't yeah is it the best idea i probably think we will i mean judging from how it's what's all going i've also been vaccinated just like yvonne so i'm feeling a little bit better about that but yeah it's still it's still confusion i mean it's still confusion about international travel do you do it do you not some people are doing it without any worry in the world other people are still very very apprehensive but overall, I think I think I'm doing I think I'm doing okay. The weather is definitely helping and it's just kind of getting back to a sense of what you feel is normal. Yeah. That's a really good point. And comfortable, I think is so so prevalent and so it's so easy to forget like what you would perceive as normality before, mm. but it's however you feel in your own shell, whatever you feel comfortable with now is so important. Yeah. But one thing I really wanted to ask you about, and it really relates to what today's episode is about. So I really feel after everything that was happening in the news, after the crisis between Palestine and Israel, when we had a chat that week, I really feel your 
you just felt very I had a very different energy from you usually you're quite positive you're very you know light-hearted and bubbly but I really felt like a sense of obviously it is a topic you're really passionate about mm. and that's what we're going to talk about today but I really felt your mental health take a bit of a dip that week mm. so I don't know if you want to explain how you felt and maybe introduce what this episode is going to be about today yeah definitely I mean to be honest that was the week where I messaged you because I mean I'll say that this episode when we planned the year's episodes or the month's episode this was not originally planned obviously we had no idea that the violence of this level was going to you know be happening so it wasn't in the pipeline it was always something that was on my mind just in terms of general history or general politics of like the world outside of England and America because I feel like that's what we as a society that's all we know through our education and things like that yeah we're just not taught about it so I mean this kind of this kind of topic is has generally been in the background of my mind but this is the first time where I was like no because I'm not very comfortable talking about it because I don't want to say something that's wrong or that's incorrect factually because it kind of you know it kind of puts the whole thing out of perspective but I think this is the first time where I've actually been been like no this is important and we need to talk about it and yes it is Israel Palestine but that's just one part of it I mean there is so much more to this whole topic to this whole system that has brought us to where where we are now and yeah once I mean I'm completely aware I mean I don't know everything myself I am not absolutely disclaimer in this episode is I am not talking about this as an expert as a politician as a historian at all I'm just talking about it from what I've seen and what I've heard and generally when it comes to crisis like these or generally kind of any kind of international events some reason I don't know I always feel like they hit me stronger I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just because I love meeting new people so much and traveling abroad so much and learning about different cultures and languages. Like that's always been me. So when you hear about something so soul destroying that's happening in other parts of the world that you're not going through just because of where you happen to be born. I don't know. It hits, it hits a different chord when you think about it on that level. Well, I mean, you mentioned that obviously you like meeting new people. You like traveling the world. Was there a point in time or was there a place that you went to where you were like, wow, okay, this is a bit of a wake up call for me. What can I do to try and make a difference or what can I do to educate myself? Do you want to give us a bit of a, a background into, obviously you said you're not sure why, but is there something that you can go, maybe that visit or that part of me was affected because I visited or met a certain person or read something in particular? Yeah, it's that's a really good question. That's really interesting that you said that because it's actually when I first went to uni, because um, so as you may know, or you may not know, if you're listening to this for the first time. So I did languages at uni. So I did French and Arabic. So I had the chance to travel internationally quite a lot in my degree. But even just going to a university in the north, so the north is a very, very, very different world to the south of England, number one. So just meeting people in the north who had come from completely different backgrounds yeah. who had witnessed their families go through different things in their childhood I mean I mean I've mentioned this on the podcast before like I was very very protected in my Windsorian bubble very privileged yes I experienced a few things you know in school and in my childhood but I knew nothing about politics I knew nothing about the political history of England 
I loved history. So, you know, I learned about the Russian Revolution and World War One and World War Two and all of that, the Cold War in history and the Tudors and the Romans, you know, you learn all of that. But that was it. That was kind of like the limits, the boundaries of my knowledge. I knew nothing else. And it was only when I got to uni and I started speaking to people who had studied politics, who'd studied history, where I was like, oh my God, I know nothing. I know nothing about my own country. I know nothing about the history and the political history and all of this stuff that has led to where we are now. So I think that was a huge wake up call where I just started, I just listened to people when they were talking to me about it. And that just kind of led me more and more to do my own research. And as I traveled, like naturally, as you travel, you come into contact with so many different histories and you talk to people about their own experiences who was, you know, so much older than you and have lived through so much. And my eyes really began to open to how privileged of a position I was actually in. But I pushed myself to do that. I mean, the thing is, with this country, when it comes to the curriculum, that everything has an agenda. The government has an agenda. And you learn what the government want you to know, which is the amazing achievements of the British Empire. That is what they want you to know. So when it comes to things like, so, you know, we're mainly going to be talking about the Palestinian cause here. But when you see it on the news, I mean, Vons, how much did you actually like know just in terms of the general war that was going on? I mean, because I realized that not a lot of people would know about the like the about the level of violence that's going on, but it's just because we're not taught about it. That's why I wanted to chat about it a little bit today. So how much do you know about what's going on? Honestly, when it came on the TV, I had seen these headlines before. So in my view, it was it like it's something is happening again. But it wasn't like it was obviously horrific seeing the scenes. It's obviously a new event that's happening. But because of the history between the two countries, but in my head, it was just another another segment to this long history. And so for me, it was just kind of it's another news event that's happening around the world. I I read it, I listen to it, I watch it, I take it in. It's horrific. But to me, it would be like any other horrific event going on around the world. So when we were preparing for this episode, mm. you know, before we do any episode, if I bring a topic, if you bring a topic, if we're not familiar with it, we always obviously like to do our background, our research. And honestly, I've spent the last like couple of days just reading articles. You've obviously sent me some sources, some links. And at first I was like, do you know what? This is current day. This is what's happening today. This is obviously the crisis. I've seen it on the news. Obviously, we all know what the media portrays isn't always what you know, is actually happening in the world. You sometimes have mm. to look at other uh, non-biased news channels. So I always go to somebody actually recommending this to me, like even before. So this is when we were looking at the pandemic, for example. Don't just listen to the British media. So I started listening to France 24. I started listening to Al Jazeera, which are kind of, I would say then quite unbiased views. So not always listening to mainstream media, basically. So I actually then thought, okay, this is what's happening now, but I don't actually understand the background. I don't actually understand the history. I kind of went back to basics and was like, look, I'm just going to read the most basic thing and see what I can find out. Because like you said, the curriculum is so skewed. Like I only ever learned about like Nazi Germany, the Romans, like you said, I think the most interesting or like non, 
conventional thing I learned about was Imperial China. That was mm. like the most exotic thing we learned about in school. That was kind of so exciting. <laughs> like, whoa, what is this yeah. about the the terracotta warriors? So yeah. for me, I had to just kind of go back to basics. So I will put a couple of the links that I read for anybody who's kind of in my position, in my stance. So I read something from history.com mm. and also actually Newsround. That was the first kind of basic articles because obviously news round they tailor the the articles and they tailor the videos for children yeah not to say i'm a i have the mind of a child but you know just bringing it back to simplicity so you can understand the reasoning the background and the history and that was so important in my understanding that is kind of where i've had a very basic history lesson plus what you've seen on the mainstream media and a little bit, like I said, on other news channels and some of the resources you've sent me of obviously Palestinians that aren't, I believe they're not actually living in Palestine, are they? Like some of them are living in the US and they can kind of say it from their perspective, what's going on as a Palestinian. I, to be honest, I I don't want to like speak too much about like the history of it, because the thing is with, in terms of like historical sources, like everything is out there. This is the thing. Everything is out there that you need to know about what's happening. The main thing that I wanted to chat about is like, to be honest, just literally to listeners like yourselves, people who um, are seeing it on the news, but who may not have time to research or may not have social media who just see it as, oh, there's just a few more people being killed somewhere else in the world. The fact that we're so desensitized to death is what gets me, is the fact that whatever is happening in the world, if the person or the, or the country being affected, the civilians being affected, if they are not to put it bluntly, white, European, or American, then it's not, it's not a priority. And it's so, it's so sad. And where do you think this comes from? It's just, it's just always, it's the way the world is created. It's the way the world's been built over history, over years and years and years of just Western imperialism and the colonialization of indigenous communities and tribes and societies in places like Canada. I mean, we've just had the news report that 250, I don't know if you saw it, 250 children, them, their grave was uncovered yeah. because they were forced into the Catholic schools and then were then... Also, I, I, I love how the, the, the media says they died. Even, even with the Palestinian crisis or wherever it is, they died. It's like they weren't, they didn't, they didn't die. They didn't just drop dead from like shock. They were killed. They were murdered. And it's very interesting how the British, the British media portrays that. But they, they were killed for not being white. I mean, I don't really, the thing is, when it comes to stuff like this, people are like, oh, but it's so complicated. There's politics involved in this and that. I don't really know how much more blunt it can be. Like if they were white, if they were white Canadian, they wouldn't have died. They wouldn't have been in those schools. It's because they were not white, because they were already living there. And obviously, white people, what we do is we go into countries and think that we now own the land and kick everyone else out. And if they don't leave peacefully, we kill them. I mean, that's what just what's happened. It happened in Australia, it happened in America, it happened everywhere. So that's another example. When I went to, so um, 
I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I did, when I was at uni, I did a trip around East Africa, which was probably one of the most eye-opening things for me because I actually went to Rwanda. And Rwanda is a tiny little country in East Africa next to Uganda, which is where I spent the majority of my time. And there was actually a genocide that happened in Rwanda. And it really hit me when I went there because you are literally seeing the impacts of this brutal, brutal event that happened. 800,000 civilians were killed in 100 days. So this happened in 1994. But you still see people who have got scars, who have got limbs missing. And you don't know whether they were the murderers. You don't know whether they had families who had been murdered. Because what happened, there were basically two groups of Rwandans, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And that's where the conflict was. And it was the Tutsis who were the minority who were ethnically cleansed during that period. Um, But the really interesting thing is that the UN was sent try and help the situation, but the UN only escorted the white tourists out of the country and they left the Rwandans there and they weren't allowed to do anything. And when I went to the genocide museum, obviously there were quotes from a lot of the survivors. Um, The majority of the people who died were children because they wanted to wipe out the next generation. So these were babies who were being massacred with machetes. That's literally what the rebels were doing as they were going through the streets and just macheting children. And this one girl said that after World War II, because you hear about the horrors of World War II on a day-to-day basis in school, like, you know, the Jews getting gassed. and it's constant in the curriculum. Yeah, it's, it's, it's drilled into you and you're like, oh, this is horrifying. I can't believe that happened. But we know the figures off by heart as yeah. well, because it's literally, we learn so much about yeah. it. Yeah. And anywhere you go in the world, anyone will know who Hitler is. And I'm pretty sure there's like a Holocaust museum in in quite a lot of Western countries and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you can visit the sites and, and everything. Like it's, a, I don't want to say a tourist attraction, but it's a very, it holds a very deep meaning, these places in a lot of European, a lot of European countries. And rightly so. I mean, it was a horrific event, but it wasn't the only event to happen in the 20th century. That's the thing. But because it happened in Europe and it directly affected Britain, that is why we learn about it. And this one girl in this museum, it was a quote on the wall from her. And she said, after World War II, they promised, the UN promised, the world promised this would never happen again. But we didn't realize that it didn't apply to us because we weren't white. And this is in her words. This is in her Uh, words. A girl in Rwanda. Yeah, yeah, a little uh, little girl who, who was a survivor. did you know about this, Janice? Or did you know about the history of Rwanda before you went there? Um, so I know a little bit. I mean, in terms of, um, so a lot of the people who I was traveling with, they were quite knowledgeable in the general history of East Africa. But the Rwandan genocide was, it was an event in the 1990s that literally shook the whole of Africa because there were so many refugees There were so many refugees that were piling into the the neighboring countries. So Burundi, Uganda, there is a, a, so Lake Victoria is a huge lake in the middle of East Africa and Uganda and Rwanda share share this lake. And Uganda was actually saying that there was a medical crisis because so many bodies were being washed into the lake that it was then affecting neighboring countries, but that they have so many refugee camps and not enough clean water. And literally when I was there, I was like, how did no one do anything? How did no one do anything? This was such a huge humanitarian crisis. I came back and I said to my mom and dad, 
do you remember, you know, 1990, it was the year I was born. Like, do you remember what, what, what happened? Like, did you do any, like, did you do anything? To, like, you would just imagine someone would do something. And my dad was like, yeah, I think I saw it on TV. Like you said, and because it's it. not in like maybe a, a Western country, that's why it's not, you know, mainstream media, for example. Yeah, it's not. And it's just blatant systemic racism. That's what it is. But people are even with Israel and Palestine, I mean, I'll go into that in a little bit more detail as well. But people are like, oh, but it's so complicated. That's such a long history. Israel was literally only created 73 years ago. There are literally Palestinians who are older than the state of Israel. It's not complicated. Like, it's literally the British and the French wanted Palestine. There were lots of Jews. They knew that it, was cause, it would cause conflict. The Jews said that they wanted a state just for Jewish people. So they put them in the middle of Palestine. And it created... That's literally... It's not complicated. What is being carried out right now is ethnic cleansing and genocide because they are getting rid of the Palestinians. It's not complicated. So in all of the news reports where they're talking about clashes and they're talking about conflicts, and I don't really see how in World War II you would call that a clash between Jews and Nazis. You would call it ethnic cleansing because that's what it was. But for some reason, and you know, the British were very, very heavily involved with the making of Israel, so were the Americans. Obviously, they don't want the blame to come back onto them, or they don't want it to be highlighted, or I don't know, they're just racist. But they're not going to portray it like that. So it's really, really interesting to see how these things, they're just allowed to happen. In the 21st century, genocides are just allowed to happen. And also, till obviously, I kind of had my history lesson, and I understood the like the why or like the reasoning behind it i just presumed because we know that jerusalem we've been taught you know that's something in in the curriculum that jerusalem is formed of three religions christianity islam and judaism so i presumed that this conflict was over religion and that's what a lot yeah. of you know in the past when there's been conflicts in the middle east before or like i said in places i i maybe don't know so much about i just presume it's religion but actually, it's over land. And I also didn't realize that. Like, obviously, the Gaza Strip is always mentioned in the news. And now I actually understand that, yeah, the Gaza Strip is actually a main clash where there's a divide, as far as I understand. Yeah, I mean, well, to be honest, if you, so if you look, I won't go too much into to detail because it's a lot easier if you can see it visually. So if you, literally anyone listening, if you're not sure, if you just Google the map. I've got a great resource. It. I've got a great news round video for everybody to watch on uh, Israel and where <laughs> it is and Palestine and the different sides. And it, yeah, visually it puts things into perspective. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to see visually because basically... Palestine, before 1948, Palestine was Palestine. 1948 is when what the Palestinians call the Nakba happened in Arabic, which means the catastrophe, which the Israelis called Jerusalem Day, apparently. But it's basically when the state of Israel was created. And the state of Israel literally cuts down the middle of Palestine. And the Palestinian territories are then Gaza, which is on the left, and the West Bank, which is where Jerusalem is, which is where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is, which is where a lot of the violence was taking place, which you may have seen on the news. Now, the thing is, the Israeli forces, the military police, are literally slaughtering people in the streets. They are kicking people out of their homes. They are attacking 
peaceful worshippers. These people aren't even fighters. They are worshippers. They are shooting children. They are gassing old people out of their homes. And I saw a BBC interview with the Palestinian ambassador who was being interrogated about Hamas, completely ignoring the fact that Palestine has no navy, Palestine has no police, Palestine has no funding, Palestine has no weapons. The Palestinians are literally fighting with cutlery and rocks, while the Israeli police are literally shooting at them. This is what baffles me. I don't understand what what the West what the Western media are doing. Like it's literally and the thing the problem is I think as well is that you only know that if you are following people Palestinians on social media who are in Palestine who are literally documenting it by the second of what's happening. Like I, I won't tell you the figures. I mean the the number of Palestinians killed have been through the roof. I know that Palestine have also been firing rockets back at Israel. I'm also not saying that that's a good thing, but Israel were warned time and time again by Palestine to stop attacking the mosque. Now, this mosque that they attacked, they literally created a war zone out of, is the third holiest site for all Muslims in the world. The third holiest site. And the fact that Israeli police were killing people inside of it that is why there was such a huge, such a huge backlash. I mean, yes, in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, which is in occupied East Jerusalem, they were kicking families out of the homes in their neighborhood. Families that had been there for years and years and years, can I just say. But because the Israeli government knows how important Al-Aqsa is, they attack Al-Aqsa to keep the Palestinians under control. Now, if that is not terrorism, I don't really know what is. And these Palestinians are living this day in, day out. They are literally just waiting to die because since that happened, obviously things have escalated so much and Gaza is now being bombed to kingdom come. The Israelis are stopping medical supplies. They are bombing hospitals. They are killing doctors. So it's not even, it's not even civilians. It's literally people who are trying to help their own people. And that is why I'm so angry. That is why I'm so angry is because the world is just watching. Then I was thinking about 1994. And also in 1995, there was the Bosnian genocide. Currently happening, the concentration camps in China. It's just everywhere you look, everywhere you look, it's happening. But the world is just watching because it doesn't affect us. It doesn't directly affect us. And that is also why it's so important to talk about it. Because even if you don't, even if you feel like you can't do anything, at least you know what's going on. You're aware of it. Yeah, exactly. You're aware that you are lucky, that you are privileged, that you aren't in danger of being bombed when you walk down the street. It's a privilege that not a lot of people have. I have two main questions, Aisha, off the back of that. I would say if we're thinking more umbrella so if we're thinking in terms of like you said if we're just watching in terms of the world like the west we're watching we're not um, trying to dissolve the situation yeah what can be done on like a, a wider scale what can governments do what do you think these group like for example like the united nations mm. they have a say because again i'm not familiar on what the kind of protocol would be yeah. like what yeah. if if we are in this privileged position, what should us white Western countries be doing? 
Yeah, well, this is the annoying thing is you just feel so helpless. It's like you're just sitting this, sitting here watching this on TV and you're like, what can I do? And you literally just want to go to the Israeli prime minister and just shake him and be like, seriously, where is your humanity? In terms of government, I mean, we can put pressure on governments to put sanctions on Israel. That's what happened in South Africa. Nelson Mandela himself said when he was elected, the sanctions definitely helped. Pressure from all the Commonwealth countries, it worked. The problem is that Israel is so rich and has got so much power and has got such a foothold in the Middle East and it has got so many good relationships with so many countries, embarrassingly, a lot of Muslim countries, with the backing of the US. I mean, the US are providing Israel with £3.8 billion in military funding every year. That is a number that shouldn't even be allowed to exist. So it's very, very hard. I mean, when it comes to the government, I sent a letter to my MP I sent a few letters to the MPs, to be honest. And the thing is with governments, they tend more than not to listen to what the people are protesting for. So the protests that have happened in London, they they got international media attention. Not enough, in my opinion, because there was a lot of people at that protest. It was one of the biggest protests that's happened this decade. You attended one, didn't you? Yeah, so I attended the first one, which happened actually on the anniversary of the State of Israel being created, so the anniversary of the Nakba. Um, This was a few weeks ago. And I swear to God, the energy, the energy on those streets was something else. And it did catch people's attention. And very, very recently, a few days ago, the the Irish um, have condemned Israel's actions. So it is working. It is working. I think the power is in the people. The people is what elects governments right that's what we do so then bringing it in on like a smaller scale in terms of like what us as individuals can do what is it that you're doing or you know other people are doing on like a smaller scale how can we make an impact yeah i think the important i think the important thing to remember is that this isn't a protest for politics it's not a political protest it's not a historical protest this is literally a protest for humanity yep. it is literally protecting everyday civilians children and i think the tiniest little things can make a difference so as a lot of you know i am a teacher a lot of my students are a lot older and we have been discussing Palestine in our lessons, in our English lessons even. We've been reading newspaper articles, we've been watching YouTube videos, and they've been asking really intelligent questions. Now, that little act might not be huge, but what if one day he comes across someone who is completely ignorant and he's actually able to tell them some facts and that person goes on to do some research and that person goes on to do some research? You know, it's a domino effect. It could it could make a difference. You don't even have to be a teacher. I mean, you could talk to Educate yourself and then talk to other people about it. Raise awareness. Social media is a huge, huge tool. So many accounts, Palestinian accounts, have been blocked, have been removed because of the content. They're saying that the content is inappropriate, which just shows that Israel is getting a bit worried that this is now coming out about the truth of what they're doing. I noticed that some of the content you were putting out, you were putting like stars instead of letters. What was that all about? It's because, so Facebook and Instagram shadow with shadow banning. So anything concerning Palestine or pro-Palestine posts, they were being, their reach was being limited. So a lot of really huge influencers were noticing that they would be getting like, I don't know, hundreds of views on a story. But whenever they put anything about Palestine up, their, lim- their view would literally be cut in half. 
because they were picking up on those specific words and they were banning them. So one of the posts I came across said to avoid this happening, replace some of the some of the letters in Israel and Palestine with like a, a, a character or a, something else. And it's terrifying that they're actually doing that, but it shows it works. Social media, it, it works. It's a powerful, powerful tool. Yeah. And I actually said to you before, Bonds, that I actually use social media now more of a, as a reliable source because I can you can literally see what's happening on the streets of Palestine. I'm not really, really going to be trusting BBC. Sky is okay. Like they Sky have done some quite fact like quite good factual documenting. But it's just very, very difficult when you know that they've got an agenda. And especially with the BBC, I mean, I was heartbroken at this. That a really, really amazing, well, what in my view, she's an amazing influencer on Instagram. Very, very pro-human rights, very, very pro-women's rights, always talking up about, you know, injustices, was very, very uh, vocal about uh, Black Lives Matter. And when it came, so she's also a um, worked for the BBC. And when it came to Palestine, everyone was waiting for her to speak up. She wasn't speaking up. We were like, okay. And then finally on her stories, she said, guys, I work for the BBC. I have to be impartial. And she got so many unfollows. A lot of people stopped supporting her financially, supporting her on Instagram, because that just shows the stance that the BBC itself is taking is that if you're impartial on genocide, I don't really want to know what's going on behind the scenes. Like, were you going to be impartial at the time of Hitler? So it's a scary world. There is also so many charities that you can donate to. So I'm currently doing a fundraiser. Um, it's 35 Day Strong Challenge. So I am working my way towards 35 press-ups <laughs> in a row, can I just say? Like a lot of people were like, oh, 35 press-ups. Mate, 35 press-ups in a row. <laughs> when you told me you were doing this challenge, I was like, yeah, let me see if I can do it. I can't even do one press-up. Like my partner so was like... Hard. You one, you look ridiculous. Two, you're not doing it right. That does not count as a press up. I was just like slumping on the ground. So I don't know how you're about halfway at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So my goal is to raise four hundred pounds. And to be honest, the majority that I've already raised, people have been literally amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So half of that is going towards Action Age UK, which is a charity that works with young women and young children who are facing the threat of child marriage, abuse, sexual abuse, uh, survivors and victims of rape. And the other £200 is going towards the Palestinians Children's Fund. That is a charity working specifically with children, not just for any thing physical so physical medical aid but also psychologically i mean some of these kids have known nothing but war since the day they were born they've just been you know they've seen families they've seen friends being shot in front of their eyes i mean some of the stories that you hear from the survivors they're shocking it's literally like nazi germany where they're just being dragged out by their hair and shot on the street um, and hung up for everyone to see so they're doing a lot of work behind the scenes it's actually really really sad about a week ago i saw that the main office had actually been been bombed the, for the charity that I'm supporting. But that is where the money is going. We will pop the links up so you can see they've got a really, really nice distribution pie chart where it shows you exactly where the money is going. The reason I did ActionAid as well, because originally, like forever, I've been I've been wanting to raise money for this particular charity. But due to the current situation for the Palestinian cause, I decided to try and raise a little bit more and split the funds. 
yeah, so far people have been amazing. So there are always little things that you can do. But the main thing for me, even if you just want to do something for yourself, is just educate yourself on the wars and the genocides and the casualties that have that have happened and that are happening around the world that we don't learn about in school. I mean, there are just so many, even even at the moment, there is just so much going on. And the British and the Americans, I mean, they are the cause for a lot of it, to be honest. They poke their noses in where they shouldn't. Um, they start a war, India, Pakistan, exactly the same thing. How many people were massacred? They cut the country in half and left. So it's 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 difficult knowing that I'm a British citizen and that I'm funding a lot of this with my with my tax money. It's it's difficult. That's a bizarre concept, yeah. Yeah, but on the side you can only do what you can do. And yes, mental health can suffer. But the way I see it, my mental health is nothing compared to that. It doesn't even compare. So yeah, I'll pop all of the links, all of the um, Instagrammers who I'm following at the moment who are recording and documenting everything live if you want to know more. And obviously, please do reach out with any questions anything that you want to know more about but yeah i hope i hope you guys found this interesting a little bit more insightful and maybe encouraged you to do a bit of googling tonight <laughs> it made such a world of difference for me to even spend you know a couple of hours every night for the last three nights it's made such a big difference to my knowledge and my education and yeah just eye-opening a little bit more and yeah maybe don't just acknowledge just like your dad said in 1994 it was on the news. It was there. That's pretty much how I sometimes feel when watching the news, not being so desensitized to what's going on around the world. Yeah. So just just make that little bit more effort to do a little bit of research. And if you think you can help in any way, then go and do it. Just like Aisha with her with her charity work, writing to the MP, yeah. little things like that can make a difference. And these things are literally already templated. Like all you have to do is sign at the bottom for like a petition for sanction, you know, sanctions in Israel. Literally all you have to do is put your name and it gets sent. For the letter, all you have to do is sign your name and the whole letter gets sent as an email to your local MP like that. Like it's so quick. So you don't even have to give any money. Um, you know, put some educational posts on social media. It doesn't cost anything. Obviously, if you want to do more, then obviously you can donate. But there are so many like good programs, so many good movies that you can watch. Um, I recently started watching again Hotel Rwanda, which is a great movie if anyone wants to um, learn a little bit more about the genocide. I mean, it's it's like a it's it's not a documentary. It's like a proper Hollywood movie. It's heart wrenching. So you need to be mentally prepared for it. Um, there's real footage in there, but it kind of gives you an insight into what these people faced. So if you are if you're up for a um, a tough movie night, definitely one on the list. But yeah, and I'll try and try and get some uh, Palestine. There's a few Palestinian movies, short movies. The titles aren't coming to me right now, but I will research and put them in as well. So yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Like we said, we're going to put a lot of resources in this one. So please do read the bio. Please do take a look at some of the links we share. And yeah, we will see you on the next one. Bye. Thanks. Bye.